That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. So, Jake, how has it been going with uh, cutting down on the chain smoking? Have you, have you stopped? Are the nicotine patches working? I see that you have two on your forehead right now. Is that helping? <laughs> Yeah, all all for the Lord, all for the Lord. So, um, doing great, doing great. Aaron, how are you? How 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 how's your Nick arrest coming? So, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we are. Knee, uh, I'm doing. I'm doing fine. We are knee deep in the season of Lent, um, and uh, get some exciting readings for everybody. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I just I'm kind of like at the. I'm kind of in Lenten funk, if you uh, really pre Lent funk, because we're still recording in Epiphany, but. Uh, you're trucking along, so I'm doing all right. Clicking to the everlasting word. We want the funk. Mm-hmm. That Lenten funk. We want the funk. That Lenten funk. Ow! <laughs> Jake is like, Zimmerman, I know. would you please take the word of God seriously? We got a podcast to record and meetings to go to. I'm a professional. All right, so let's do this. So that's me all reading your nonverbal right. cues. Our, our, ex, our readings today are from Exodus chapter three, verses one through fifteen, and then we resting Jake face, and then we have First Corinthians chapter ten, verses one through thirteen, and then Luke chapter thirteen, verses one through nine. And uh, absolutely, I just uh, you know, here we go. This I will is, break you. This is this is one of those days where, as a clergyman, you got to really dig in. Got to dig in. The blood sugar's low. Um, you know, I probably haven't drank any water yet today, so I've had a lot of coffee. I had, I had my <laughs> afternoon coffee, and I'm now drinking water, so, so I'm going to have to, we're going to have to take a recording break in about five minutes. Yeah, so anyway, but uh, here we go. Um, so we are knee deep, and indeed one of the themes of Lent is like kind of a pilgrimage and, uh, and uh, uh, exodus and journey in the wilderness. We are connected to our spiritual forefathers who made their way out of Egypt and uh, into the promised land. And, uh, and so today we get kind of the, the, the pre, right before that, the calling of Moses. And uh, at this particular moment in Moses' life, you know, he was at one time the prince of Egypt. Basically from Exodus chapter 1 to Exodus chapter 3, about 80 years goes by. And uh, Moses is, uh, at this point, uh, he is married and uh, he is uh, watching his father-in-law Jethro's flocks, um, who is the priest in Midian. Uh, so basically, um, in this way, in many ways, Moses is like kind of a type of Jesus. He was rejected by his own people, uh, but uh, those um, uh, those who shouldn't have received him definitely do, and he becomes a part of the family. And uh, Moses at this moment has forgotten his calling. He's really, I mean, the implication here is he's forgotten who he is. And it's in this moment that uh, he receives a call from the Lord. And, you know, and oftentimes I think, in life, especially kind of as we're emerging out of this pandemic and learning how to adjust to meeting new people, we can forget who we are. 
And uh, we can forget also, you know, like right now, I mean, who knows, my blood sugar's low, but, you know, it's easy to forget that God is for you and he has something uh, for you to do. And so here God meets him and he reminds him that he's not just any other abstract God, but he is the God of a promise. He's the God of his father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And uh, so he is the God of grace. And uh, this is really, I mean, kind of sets the tone. But where would you take it from here, Aaron? Well, I think this is very much, well, first I'd get you a gosh darn Snickers. Yeah. Find some Skittles in your drawer, Jake, for the love. Okay. Uh, podcast listeners, please send Jake Snickers. I want his office to be inundated with Snickers, <laughs> yeah. much like the desk of that judge in Miracle on 34th Street when they dump all the mail on the top of it. That would be perfect for Lent. That would be perfect for Lent. You will suffer. You'll gain 50 pounds mm-hmm. and your knees will start hurting again. Um, Exodus chapter 3. By the way, I have to note that revised common lectionary people, the reading is different this Sunday. It is Exodus, or sorry, Isaiah 55, and sucks to be you. You're on your own. This podcast can't help you. <laughs> yeah. We all know you're preaching on the New Testament anyways. But uh, Exodus 3 in the Episcopal lectionary is this calling of Moses with the burning bush story. There's a couple of directions that I would take this. One, as it is Lent, yet as you're, and you're very right to point out that Moses is going through his own personal Lent. He killed a guy in Egypt, much like Johnny Cash shooting a man in Reno. And he is um, rejected by the Egyptians who raised him, rejected by the Israelites because they know he's a murderer. He broke a commandment. And so he's married to the daughter of the priest of Midian, who is a pagan priest. There ain't no Hebrews out in Midian. So he's he's, uh, in religious exile as well. And he's gone from being in the royal family, living in Buckingham Palace, to just watching sheep out in the desert in the hot sun. Uh, it's awful. And um, he's, he's fallen from grace really far. And this is where the Lord meets him. So again and again and again, the story of Scripture is opposite what you hear in so many sermons, which is clean up your act, live right, and seek God. Read your Bible, pray every day, keep a journal, and... St- Stay active on social media, but not too active. You know, it just uh, it just kind of hit me too. Is that when um, it's here in this low point though that Moses actually has his real identity? You know, because when he meets the daughters mm-hmm. of Jethro for the first time, they confuse him as an Egyptian, and uh, and so. But now here he is as a real shepherd, a shepherd of his people. You know, this isn't who he thought he was going to be, or what he thought he, you know, he was going to be. You know, Israel's savior. But now he's out here in the middle of nowhere, and uh, this is where God meets him. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and he meets him in this powerful way when he's not looking for God, when he's not holy, when he's not repented or restored. Uh, uh, and that's where God finds him, which is, again, how God works in all of our lives. But we continue to uh, have this narrative that, like, we have to go out there and find God. So that's one thing I would talk about, that God graciously moved towards moves towards you when you were at your worst. Uh, the other thing I would say is that the signal that God shows Moses when he meets him in the wilderness is this bush that is not burned up because fire is always a symbol of judgment. This bush getting burned, but not actually burning up on fire, but not being consumed is a symbol of saying, I am being merciful. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm, I'm a gracious God. So that's another thing. The other thing to say is that um, God hears when his people are in suffering, like they've prayed and God is answering the prayer. And for them back in Egypt, 
When they're praying for a deliverer, they're probably thinking that God is going to raise up a deliverer from among them, their elders or somebody that's appropriately religious uh, in Egypt with the people, suffering with the people. He knows who they are, like somebody, you know, from the grassroots. But instead, God is answering their prayer, but answering it in a way they don't expect from a sort of exiled, shameful guy out in the desert who's like, he's Jewish, but is he really? Because he wasn't really raised in the tradition. He's married to a non-Jewish person. He's So all that to say is God works in ways that you don't think he's supposed to work. So you have prayed about something in your life. It hasn't happened. God is answering it, but you just can't see it yet because he's working in a different arena. Um, I would say that. Uh, and the final thing I would point about this passage is uh, God's identity as I am who I am. You know, Moses wants to ask God who he is, and God has this incredible response of complete personhood with a capital P. It's just, it always just struck me as so beautiful. Like, he doesn't need to defend himself. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, well, this is just very powerful. His, his, trust, his trustworthiness. And you're supposed to go, like, God is being in himself. He is existence. Well, I am who I am. It's just, it's amazing. Well, and really, I mean, what's going on here is, like, so rich. I mean, this is the God who is present. That's what it means when I am who I am. God is present. You know, and to get the name of... Um, of a God in those days was to say, um, I'm associating with that God. I'm identifying with that God. And when God tells Moses, I am who I am, what he's saying is, is I'm the God who identifies with you. And, uh, you know, and this, I mean, finds its implications in, you know, the prophet Isaiah, what he saw, a God, Emmanuel, you know, God is with us, you know, not we're with God, but God is with us. And this becomes uh, Jesus' name, Yahweh saves, because in Jesus, God is with us. And it's interesting that everywhere in John's gospel, Jesus uses and references this when he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Uh, But uh, really what this is, and in this name is, uh, because this name is connected with a covenant promise, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You know that God is for you and as a child and, and is with you. And as a child of Abraham, uh, you are a part of that promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. And uh, that's his name forever. And uh, that's his title for all generations. And it's a banner of love right over you. Who doggy? Okay, so I think that'll do it for Exodus chapter 3. And now we can move to a reading which. It's a little bit strong medicine. It's a little it's too hot to handle, too cold to hold. It's uh, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a uh, a, a bracing um, a winter uh, wind right in the face. First yeah. Corinthians chapter ten verses one thirteen, where Paul talks about the Exodus, which that sort of thematically links it to the fact that we just had Exodus passage, although mm-hmm. it's about a completely different part yeah. of the Exodus story. Seems like, I get it, we'll do um, this Exodus thing, and then Exodus right here, it's always like, Yeah, it's all connected, it's so. fine. But this is much later in the Moses story. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's writing to a church that is full of people, some who were Jewish people who've come to faith in Christ, some who were Gentiles who've come to faith in Christ, but there's a mix, uh, the people are mixed up because... This is the church where there is a guy who's um, taken up a relationship with his mother-in-law. There's all kinds of bickering about who, 
like there's kind of pastoral factions. I follow Peter, I follow Cephas, I follow uh, Jacob Smith or whatever. And there's just all kinds of just immorality in the church. And so Paul is trying to wake them up a little bit. So he, he's got a pastoral intention here. And that's just important to remember. So he says, let me tell you guys a little story. Remember the time that the Israelites came out of Egypt in the Exodus and there was a cloud they followed. And remember that time that they all also passed through the Red Sea miraculously and Pharaoh's army didn't kill them. And That's remember that time that God gave them all manna in the desert. And remember mm-hmm. the time they got miraculous water in the desert. They all had those things. But they still got zapped. They were struck down because they tested God or they kind of pushed back against God and they rejected God. And so this is Paul as a pastor trying to warn people, like, don't play with divine fire. Uh, you have been embraced and loved by Christ. Yeah. Uh, but um, but you better watch out because you're pushing some boundaries. You're using Christ as an excuse to live in extremely narcissistic, self-centered, self-absorbed kind of way. And you've made this about you. That's uh, and yeah. so yeah. So so just watch out because God is a God who will not be mocked. And if you think you're standing, He says, "Watch out that you do not fall." I think it's important to I think recognize, at least in my view, that this is not a passage saying that people can quote unquote lose their salvation. That's right. Which is a which is a pretty by the way like simplistic way to understand what God is doing in salvation, that it's as if it's something that you could lose, as if something's like, God's like, well, I tried, but he just let it go. Like, like, if, you didn't do any, Jesus, if you didn't do anything to get it, how could you do anything to lose it? Um, I mean, Jesus says, if there's 99 sheep and one is lost, I'm going to go after the one that's lost. I think, um, I think, and he and he was asked about, you know, just one more thing here, Jake, because it's always important to interpret the hard passages in light of the clear passages. Yeah. And when Jesus is talking about forgiveness to his disciples, and they say, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven times? And Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven. So Jesus is always going out of his way when, when God is incarnate on earth. He's showing grace. He's like bending over backwards to be forgiving and gracious. So just remember that that's who Christ is. And this is Paul writing a pastoral letter to people that are really pushing boundaries in a way that is hurting themselves and others. And Paul is trying to get them to wake up and smell the coffee and saying, look, you know, God, God loves you, but you're pushing really hard. And there's going to be time where it's going to snap back and you're going to have some real consequences to what's going on. And look what happened to all these people in the Old Testament um, who God called, God loved, and yet they experienced the consequences of them basically telling God to take a hike. That's exactly right. And essentially what you had and what Paul is addressing here in the context are these super apostles who, uh, you know, were like, you know, essentially it was a hundred percent a theology of glory. And now that, uh, and denying the peccator part in us, you know what I mean? And so do whatever you want, um, because, hey, you're okay, I'm okay, God, don't make no junk. And uh, and that is really, that's that's at the heart of this, is narcissistic kind of religion, a religion that doesn't uh, think about, um, about the neighbor. I'll tell you how this plays out, like in a pastoral situation. I remember we had a guy in the congregation a long, long time ago. And uh, man, and he uh, was sleeping with like a lot of ladies in the church, you know what I mean? And uh, it happens in New York. And um, anyway, it was like decimating them. You know what I mean? It was decimating them. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so we had to have a conversation. And I remember I sat down with him and he said, uh, uh, he was like, hey man, I thought like you were like a grace guy. And 
you know, and I like looked at, and I was like, man, that is not what we are talking about. You know, we are talking about, you're not talking about your standing before God. We're talking about your implication and how you're impacting these women who are your neighbor. And uh, yep. this is like the thing, but the very statement that I thought you were a grace guy, that is like putting God to the test. You know what I mean? That is like, yep. it is that statement, a statement like that, a narcissistic statement like that, that says like, this guy doesn't understand anything. You know, um, he is not he is not uh, acting in accordance with who he actually already is in Jesus. And so he needs to be reminded of that. And uh, and so um, it is not about uh, and that's exactly one of the things that Paul is addressing here is this like souped up Christianity that sees something as like all things is only spiritual, so spiritual that it becomes almost narcissistic and just all about me and what I want to do as opposed to uh, looking out for the people around you. Yeah, and I think there's also just a warning against kind of presumptuousness mm-hmm. and um, almost being arrogant about um, God and his love and grace for you so that it becomes like a permission slip for, for you to be kind of an a-hole to everybody. And that's that's not what this is about. I think one of the things that, um, by the way, just kind of a side note here, in verse... Four, it talks about drinking from a rock, a spiritual rock that accompanied the Israelites in the desert, and that rock was Christ. If you make a big deal about that verse, preachers, just know that it's referring to something that is not in the scriptures. It is in the scriptures that there are some rocks that Moses strikes with his staff and water miraculously comes out from them. The idea that there was a thing that looked like a rock that had water coming out of it that followed them through the desert is a tradition in rabbinic literature. It is not in the Old Testament scriptures. So just be careful if you refer to these passages. Paul is talking about a tradition that he comes out of, not in the Old Testament that we receive as the canonical scriptures. Just a little PSA there um, if, you are, uh, if you're going to preach on this passage. The other thing I would say, and this gets back in a little bit more kind of serious, just pastoral implications, this verse 13 here, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to, uh, to everyone. God's faithful. He won't let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Now, this was one of the memory verses that I was given in my teen years as a way to, um, if I sin in any way, it means it's my fault. Yeah. Because God, if I'm tempted and I succumb to temptation, then it is all on me because God provided a way out. I just chose not to take it. And I think it's important to note that, um, on some level, everybody experiences being tested beyond their own strength and fails. It happened to Peter at the, um, at the, the fire where he's warring himself while Jesus was being put on trial at Caiaphas's house. Um, and uh, there are so many examples in Scripture of people being tested in a way that seems beyond their strength. David, many times, just lots of examples. Samson, many times. Uh, and these people do fail, and yet God still works through them and in them, and grace is provided for them. So while it may be true on some level that we are not being tested beyond our strength, it absolutely does feel that way many times. So don't use this verse flippantly. And I think the other thing I would say is that the way that God provides out so that we may be able to endure, sometimes what that looks like is the 
reminding ourselves after we have fallen that we are forgiven. That's right. And that Christ's righteousness is given to us, and we do, like, that's how we endure yeah. it, because we know that our righteousness is not because of what we have done or not done, that that has been answered in the cross. Amen. And all our righteousness is not ours anyways. It's only, the only righteousness we have is Christ's righteousness. And again, look how Jesus responds to people in Scripture who have fallen and have felt they've been tempted beyond what they can endure. Look how Jesus responds. He's compassionate. He's gracious to Peter, to Matthew, to Levi, to Zacchaeus, to the woman caught in adultery, to uh, uh, Mary, uh, Martha. You know their their temptation, Martha's temptation to ignore Jesus and to worry about the you know the place settings and the folding the napkins. So all these stories are people who succumb to temptation. So so yes, God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. On some level, maybe you do have strength to resist, but it doesn't feel that way in practice. And the way out that he provides is often the forgiveness that he reminds us of after we have fallen. Yeah. If, if Jesus can call St. Paul while he's on the road to kill Christians in Damascus, then Jesus can absolutely appear to you and save you if you have fallen in yeah. some way. And I think there's something very pastoral in that statement. No testing has overtaken you that's not common to everyone. I think in our Absolutely. I think in our society we like you know everybody wants to be unique and wants to be special until you actually go see your doctor. <clears throat> you know what I mean? I remember the other day yeah. I was like you know I checked it out on WebMD and it was like definitely a tumor, and I'm gonna die. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't want a polyp. Um, and so, uh, but I went into to my doctor and he was like, oh yeah, we've seen this before. This is just a pinched nerve. And so you know what I mean? And like the the relief that comes from knowing that you're just like everyone else. You know we have seen this before. And because God, there is nothing that God hasn't seen, uh, the remedy is the same for everyone. The remedy is the gospel. The remedy is the forgiveness of your sins. And indeed, uh, that gospel enables us to stand, enables us to endure, and provides the way out from the ultimate closure, which is death, um, into the age that is to everlasting life, the real promised land that we have passed through the waters of baptism and uh, have been nourished by the spiritual food, which is the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood. So, um, you know, that's the way out. And uh, it is those things constantly given to you and for you, those gifts that become the enabling agent for you to endure. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, the um, AA and the 12-step movement gives you such a great picture of what this looks like in practice. You never think that you are beyond your humanity. You never think that you are beyond your addiction um, or that you're, you're never susceptible to it ever again. Yeah. People who have been sober for 30 years continue to go to meetings because they take this seriously where it says, if you think you're standing, watch yeah. out. So you never, you never think that you have moved on from your humanity, yeah. as you say. And the testing still comes, which is why you still have a network of support. And Jake says you have the church, mm -hmm. you have the support, they have the people to remind you of your forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Like this is the way out. Um, it's not. It's it's not like the next time you feel tempted in some situation to pick up a cigarette or whatever. You know, I'm using that completely metaphorically. Uh, but if you feel that way, uh, it's not like there's some little invisible trapdoor that God has given you to get out of the situation. And if you don't choose to open the door, like. It's, that's on you. No, it's the gospel. Um, the way out is 
the gift of grace that we receive every week in the sacrament, in the preaching of the word, and in just what God has accomplished for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, yeah. anyways, end of Amen. end of that rant. We should probably move yeah, on to should. Luke chapter thirteen. I've got one more thing Another to say about super it. No, easy kidding. passage. So, do it. No, do I'm, it. I'm, do it. Uh, the good old sponsor, um, a sponsor, once said, uh, I was talking to him about you know, and he said we always begin with uh, right where we are as opposed to where we hoped we'd be. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really the same with Christianity. We always begin right where we are, as opposed to where we hoped we'd be. Now, on Amen. to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Because if we begin with where we are, as opposed to where we hope we'd be, um, it keeps us out of the abstraction. You know, whose fault was it? That's right. So, which is the, which is the yep. theme of Luke chapter 13. All about whose fault is it? Why do bad things yeah, happen so these, to good people, Aaron? You know, and all these right, theodicies so that's, that's, and all of that stuff. T- I tell you, tell you why. It's because they probably watched a lot of Keeping Up with the Kardashians yeah. uh, instead of reading their Bible, and God just said, "No, I'm going to strike you down." That's why. <laughs> uh, no. So here we have. Um, people asking Jesus about some Galileans who apparently, and it doesn't give us the story of what happened, but uh, this is Pontius terrible, Pilate, there were some terrible. Galileans who were apparently sacrificing something, doing some sort of religious ceremony. And while that ha- happened, Pilate sent in the, the SWAT team and uh, just slaughtered them all. So they were killed and their religious sacrifices were lying there on the ground. They were lying there on the ground. And, uh, People are asking, like, basically, why did this happen? And you know, implying that maybe they did something to deserve it. And Jesus says, no, they were not worse sinners than other Galileans. Um, and then he, and Jesus brings up a tower in Siloam that fell on them. Oh, little PSA, by the way, for your lectors for this Sunday, just make sure that they've read the passages in advance. For one, in the New Testament, you have this Siloam and Galileans. And if people hadn't read this before, they will positively freak out at those words. And if the Old Testament, if they've not read it before, Amorites, Hittites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites... Your lector will have a panic attack if she or he has gone through this before. So just have them review it before Sunday. Okay, so the Tower of Siloam fell on these people, uh, and Jesus says, do you think they were worse offenders than people living in Jerusalem? No. So Jesus is leveling leveling the playing field, saying that there is, if if bad things happen to someone or a group of people, it's not because they're worse. And Jesus, it's interesting to say, Jesus doesn't say, it's because everybody is good. Jesus says, everybody is equally broken. Everybody is an offender. Everybody is a sinner. So if you're beginning to look at sin as the reason that bad things happen to people, he says, you're barking up the wrong yep. tree. Because if, you know, everybody, if, if that were the criteria for bad things to happen, you have to be a sinner and then bad things would happen, like everybody would be wiped out. So um, it's a gracious statement. It sounds a little bit weird, but he's sort of breaking the link that we as humans tend to make between bad things happen. Well, you must have deserved it. He's breaking that link in a really definitive way. He's calling you to repent. He's basically saying everybody will perish. Mm-hmm. So I'm inviting you to repent, which means come into a come into a, a right relationship, into a relationship with Christ, where your righteousness is from Him, your forgiveness is from Him, and there's no longer any. There's no more weighing of merits, yeah. as the prayer book says. The big thing so here, too, that's what I would yeah, say about this. And you know, and this really gets at like the human condition, uh, like 
Uh, you know, the, the, the question that we're always asking when things don't go the way we expected or when things don't, you know, when things seem, you know, out of our control, like, you know, a tower falling on people or like the SWAT team, like coming in and just decimating these guys. Um, the question that always hits us is why? And uh, that's what's really being asked here is why? why? Why did these things happen, Jesus? Is it because they're worse? You know, we love to categorize people and put them on the, put them on the, you know, on the map. I always tell people like, you know, uh, think of the the worst person in the world, and you know it's uh, Mother Teresa. They uh, the, they usually say like Adolf Hitler or something like that, and I say put them at the bottom of the floor, and then uh, say who's the best person in the world, and they usually say like Mother Teresa, and I say put them right at the top of the wall where the wall meets the ceiling. Now where are you? And everybody's always in the middle, and this is why we think we can ask why. And I always remind them at that moment that Jesus is the moon. That's how far separate he is. And uh, that's how much in control he is, and that's how good he is. But, you know, in the grand scheme of life, we're much closer to Hitler than we are to, to anybody else, to even him. But we ask the question, why, all the time, because we want to be in control. And uh, the truth is, is that there's no answer given to the question, why? Um, you're just called to repent. I mean, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His humanity crying out in that regard. And there's no answer given from heaven. It's just something that question, we're, that, that, that point that we're all invited into. And this is why uh, the parable that follows is so, so important. Yeah, because so people are asking, why do bad things happen to these people? They must have deserved it. They're in a system where it's all about merit. Are you good or are you bad? Yeah. And if you're a good person, you get good stuff. If you're a bad person, you get bad stuff. And Jesus says, essentially, everybody's bad. So then he tells a parable to say, okay, so what are you going to do about you, person? And this is where you as a preacher, you say, okay, those questions about good and bad people, that's an abstraction. What about you? And Jesus here says, we are like trees. And we think he might say, what about you? You have to be an Olympic athlete. So start training and running and jumping and do some sort of spiritual exercises. That tends to be how we think about the Christian life when somebody starts talking mm -hmm. about repentance. But what he says is, you're actually like a tree. And your job is to stay rooted in the soil so that fruit comes out at the end of your branches. And what is God's role in this situation? And it's likely that the gardener is, is Christ sort of in this situation. It's God in the situation. What should we do? And the gardener wants to just dig, wants to be merciful to it so that it can produce fruit. You and I are not the gardener. You and I are not the one that makes the fruit happen. We are the tree. And so what Jesus wants people to realize is that our role in what does repentance look like? It means resting in Christ and what he has done for us. And by the way, the fact that the gardener wants to wait a year and continue to fertilize it and put manure and all that, like, it will, in doing that, it will make fruit. If you've ever been a gardener, you know that's what happens, unless there's some major disease or fungus or something in the tree. But uh, let's not push the metaphor too far. The, the thing that I think is... Um, wonderful here is that the gardener wants to show mercy to this unproductive mm -hmm. tree. He doesn't want to cut it down immediately. And this again reminds me of Jesus's teaching to forgive 70 times 7. It reminds me of God the Father in his conversation with Abram about the destruction of Sodom, um, or a conversation with Lot, I think it is. And, and God 
is saying, I'm going to destroy the city, and he's asked, well, what if there's 50 righteous people? And God says, well, okay, then I won't destroy it. Says, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And God is merciful, quote unquote, to a fault. And so there's an implication here uh, that, you know, even if next year comes around, one gets the sense that the gardener might even say, well, let's try, let's give it one more year. So you're the tree. Jesus is saying your only job in repentance is to rest in what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And that's where the fruit comes from. So it's the opposite of a try harder. It's a rest more in the gospel. That's really good. Thanks, Jay. Well, I think uh, that is, um, I mean, I think that's, uh, I think we've said it all. So, uh, um, gosh. So, call the, if you want to title your sermon, I mean, I think it's in this Luke passage. It's put manure on it. Oh, good. That's really good. Put manure on it. That's good. Just kidding. I mean, don't do that. Um, you might get an angry email from the vestry. Well. Uh, I think that'll, but yeah, I think that'll do it for Lent 3. Uh, remember, uh, God bless you, preachers. We know you have a lot coming up as we look to Holy Week and Easter. Uh, make sure you have some ashes, not ashes, uh, make sure you've ordered your palms, and if you haven't, have a plan B, because yeah. Palm Sunday's coming, and everything's getting close. Yeah, and if you need... Uh, and finally, yeah, a couple, a couple other announcements uh, for our listeners. If you have questions, comments, uh, or, um, you know, fashion tips, you can send them to... Uh, us uh, on, on Instagram or Twitter. You can DM us at SOSMbird. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. If you've used any of our insights in sermons or in conversations that have been helpful, we always love to hear those stories. Those are encouraging. And finally, uh, April um, 26th through 8th, is that right? Yeah. Mockingbird Conference is coming up in New York City. So you have a little bit over a month to register and reserve your room and get your tickets and all that sort of stuff. Go to ember.com, and there should be a little pop-up that says this conference is coming up about uh, hope. April 28th through the 30th. Mm -hmm. Oh, there it is. Yeah, April 28th through the 30th. So, um, yeah, ember.com or conference.ember.com, and you can register and get all the information. We'd love to see you there. Um, uh, We'll do, I think, a live taping of Same Old Song, uh, and we just would love to, to see you all. So that's it. Anything else you want to add, Jake? No, you've said it all, and uh, I think uh, I think it's absolutely right. So um, looking forward to seeing everybody next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, week, and uh, keep preaching the gospel. Put manure on it. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but... Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll. You